I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm Clive Anderson. Welcome to My Seven Wonders. In the ancient world, before Christianity, before the Roman Empire really got going, academics, philosophers and tourists came up with a list of the seven best, most impressive things that had ever been created. They became known as the Seven Wonders of the World. The wonders were the Great Pyramid of Giza, which is still standing, and six others, such as the Hanging Gardens of Babylon and the Colossus of Rhodes, which have long since disappeared from view. Over the ages, further lists of seven wonders have been agreed on or argued over. But what are the seven wonders you would put on your list? That's the question I'm asking in this podcast, and the person I'm asking today is Olivia Lee. Olivia is a comedian, actress and presenter who made a name for herself on television in Britain, Australia and America, pranking, duping and teasing her victims on prank TV, balls of steel and dirty, sexy funny. She was even hired to do outrageous stunts on America's top talk show, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. So I'm hoping this is my podcast and she's a guest on it and not some elaborate scam, which she is somehow filming with a hidden camera. Away from comedy, Olivia is married to, well, to another comedian, Dan Renton Skinner. So welcome, Olivia. And I'm asking you, what are your seven wonders of the world, seven wonders that you want to put on your list? Well, after that list, it all feels a bit frivolous. You've got the pyramids. <laughs> you've got, you know, and I'm going to kick off with uh, number one, Sunday roasts. <laughs> Sunday roasts. So, so this is what, a traditional Sunday lunch uh, meal with the family? Is, is the food important, the family important or what? All the family don't have to be there. Okay. I mean, it's probably better if they're not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just talking about, oh, you haven't met my family. Uh, uh, if you're listening, Mum, I love you. And we don't have Sunday roast every Sunday that you're not invited to. Don't worry, that doesn't happen. Um, <laughs> so it could be a meal on your own. Just... Th- yes, me on my own. Well, no, I think there's something about the ritual of on a rainy day. You almost look forward to a rainy Sunday. Well, I know my other half and I do. And we go, oh, we can have a roast. And, you know, we go and buy the meat. We've got the Hampstead Butcher just kind of at the end of the road. And it and it's the only time we kind of really buy nice meat or go to the butcher. It's, it's kind of, it's the whole event of it. And start cooking very early and just use it as an excuse to do nothing and go, oh, well, while the potatoes are on, I might as well just put my feet up and eat some crisps. Oh, you know, and, and we just eat a lot of crisps and just wallow around and then eat more. And it just, I mean, you should see our condiment selection. That We have a whole shelf in the fridge just for roasts. We've got the cranberry sauce, the apple sauce, the mustard pickle, <laughs> the pickled cucumbers. I mean, that's the Jewish, you know, spin on it. Um, and yeah, it's just mar- rather marvellous, really. Do you share my enjoyment? Do you share this passion? Well, I? I would say I remember growing up and it was, it was quite a big thing, you know, I, I, on a Sunday, my mother would do the roast something. And I got in my, in my mind, I thought it was a particularly difficult meal to cook. But when I got a bit older, roasting a chicken, for example, is quite an easy thing to do. Even a, really easy. Oh, yeah, fairly easy. You just put it in the oven. Maybe you put a little bit of oil on the outside. Southern you might have stuffed some. Bum. Exactly. Yes. 
um, absolutely ideal. So I just wondered whether there's something that's got, um, you know, over overblown. Uh, does the meat important? I've mentioned chicken, but I suppose Sunday roast people most often would think of uh, of beef, wouldn't they? Is, is that? Well, we don't some... really do beef. We do lamb or chicken. But I remember realizing how much I missed Sunday roast when I lived in LA. And they've got, you know, they've got pubs in LA, but so, you know, the Brits are like, let's go for a roast, let's go for a roast. But it's not the same eating a roast in the sunshine with guys playing pool in the background wearing baseball caps. It's just kind of, it's not the same. It loses all of it. So so you want drizzly British weather to go with this? It's got to be drizzly and grey, yeah, and, and cold, so that you, the only thing you want to do is stay in or even go to a pub with, you know, a handful of friends I'm obviously very particular about who can come and who can't, you know. <laughs> yeah. Handful of uh, chosen friends. So do you think this is a, a particularly British thing? Uh, this, this we, we like a lump of meat and vegetables sometimes boiled to within an inch of their life uh, to go with it. I think it is. I mean, it's not, as, as you say, it's not a culinary skill, really, to shove a bit of meat in the oven. Um, but there's, there's something about the British culture, you know, a Sunday roast and a cup of tea, very basic very bland food that's very easy but just gives you an excuse to sit on your backside and do nothing on a cold day maybe that's what it is yeah yeah and something like yorkshire pudding that you, you make oh yeah to go you've got with... to have a yorkshire pudding um we don't make them i mean we, we buy them <laughs> you buy them. <laughs> we buy them it's only it's uh, only flour and water isn't it so you i could... know well it's sunday you know and we give the kid the ipad and we just watch you know, rubbish telly. Um, I think the overall kind of vibe here is that we're, we're quite lazy and we like eating, which is not far from the truth, I have, you know. <laughs> the thing that sparked off in my mind when you when I knew you were going to be talking about Sunday roasts is that the French call the English, in particular British, as well, les roast beefs, the people who eat roast beef. And it's a, it's like the worst insult you've it ever is. could come up with. It. I, I, it's not an insult at all. What's, what's, you know, why is it a pejorative term to be told you eat nice meat I mean, it's not quite like calling them the frogs well it's on the base not even that nice bread. really most of the time it's overcooked yeah. it's not even you know it's like, and a bit chewy and a bit yeah a bit a bit grisly now this is the end product of a sunday dinner everything that's on here yorkshire pudding greens meat only thing that's not on is gravy uh, but don't forget, don't give your dog gravy. If you want to give him some juice in his meal, give him water. Right, OK, that's that's Sunday roasts uh, dealt with, uh, washed up and the crockery put away. What's your second choice? What's your second wonder, Olivia? So it's a massive departure from cold, rainy days. It's beaches. Beaches. Oh, I love a beach. <laughs> I love a beach. I really do. <laughs> what sort of beaches are you talking about? Are you talking about Brighton Beach with pebbles? I'm really not that fussy. It doesn't have to be sandy. It can be pebbly. It can be a bit grey. It can be a bit seaweedy. But I, I, I don't know if you feel like this. I've always lived in London. I've always been kind of a city girl. And I often just get this need, so I just need to get away and I need to see a landscape that's completely different from anything I would see on a day-to-day -day basis. And my other half feels the same. And there's something about just look, staring out at the sea that resets my brain. It's almost like someone presses a restart button and it's like, oh, all right, there you go. All the stresses get washed away on the shore, <laughs> watching the waves lap away. It's so, it's just, this, it, I think it's a sensory experience that takes you out of, 
the normal sensory experience that you have every day, if that makes sense. Well, that makes sense. But it, but you're stressing the sea, it's the salt water, the, the swimming maybe, rather than just lying around on the beach uh, looking gorgeous, getting a suntan. Oh, have you seen me having, in my bikini? Uh, bro- That's a stretch. <laughs> I mean, I don't even wear a bikini anymore. I'm in kind of a full wetsuit on the beach <laughs> these days. It's not about kind of the sunbathing or the swimming. I think it's just about being there being with nature, you know, being in a place that's so beautiful and even a really crappy beach has a beauty to it. Um, Just being able to look out and see the sea. We've been obsessed um, in lockdowns. Every weekend we've been going to beaches and um, we went to, we thought we'd try Canvey Island. I mean, God love it. Not the best beach. (laughs) Surrounded by concrete. We got there. We drove away there with, you know, we've got all the proper British seaside gear. We've become a bit obsessed so we turned up with our windbreaker, our, our tent, our, our pop-up chairs, cushions, the lot. Um, and and it, I don't know if you've been to Canvey Island and got there and it's like, oh. But then you kind of soon forget and you just stare out at the sea and all your troubles wash away <laughs> and you eat fish and chips. I think the mere the fact beach. you've mentioned a windbreaker, that's that's almost an acknowledgement of the fact that the experience is a bit grim. Yeah, it? You, you know that you've got to... <laughs> <laughs> the British size season. So we go, we try and go away at least once a year. And it's it's always a beach holiday, even with a toddler, because we're just, my other half's the same. We just love being on the beach, not poor people at all. And during lockdown, we've been feeling massive uh, kind of lock home syndrome. I don't know if you've had that. And on the weekend, we're like, we've just got to get away. So we've been going to Mercy Island, which we love. Uh, we went to Leon Sea the other week. And each week we've been gradually adding to our paraphernalia, our beach paraphernalia. So, we so these, this out. is Mersey and Lee. Those are both Essex beaches. These are only Essex. <laughs> so are they sand? Are they sandy or are they muddy? Or? They are actually Mersey uh, Island. Is, it's a really gorgeous beach as far as British seasides go. The others, not so much. But we've got all the gear now, and even on a windy day, we just stick the kid in the tent with the iPad. Sit on, sit on our fold-up chairs behind the windbreaker, eating fish and chips. I've never been happier, honestly. <laughs> Who needs the Caribbean? I mean, we would we would have been away at somewhere beachy, but when you can't, you've got to make do with what you've got. Um, and we got so obsessed with Mercy Island. I think we went five weekends in a row, and then we started looking at houses there. And then we realised, hang on, no, this we don't want to move here. <laughs> We're just getting a bit obsessed. I'm not. I'm not. A, I wouldn't say I'm such an enthusiast for beaches as you. Are. I like the sea and everything, but but there's a sort of beach activity. I um I, time has moved on a bit as far as my body is concerned. But when I was young, I I was very pale and very skinny, and being pale and skinny on a beach isn't a great look. You know, there's these, you know, people with lovely suntans and with beach Not in bodies England. playing. Have you seen the state of the British on the beaches? Yeah, well, that's me. That <laughs> I am the state of yeah. the British. <laughs> All right, so we've got Sunday Rose, we've got uh, beaches. Yes. Um, can we go on to your third wonder of the world? The third, which you can also have on a beach, not in Britain, I don't think, but massages. Oh, right. I just love being touched. <laughs> <laughs> I love the touch. You like being touched by a uh, professional? Any, anyone that's willing to apply a lot of pressure on my back. It's not. I don't like a relaxing massage. And I, I've actually had massages that have been like, supposedly relaxing and they've not been going hard enough. I've gotten more stressed 
because they've not. <laughs> so I've had a massage. I've gone in like this has happened a couple of times when we've gone on holiday. I'm like, say, I'm going for a massage. He's like, oh my god, here we go. And uh, <laughs> if it's because it, the thing is with a massage, if they've got, I think if they've got to use their elbows or their fingertips, they've got to get right in there and really, you know, pummel where the stress is. You know, it shouldn't be so relaxing. I don't think for me anyway. Okay, fair enough. Well, I think there are different types of. Massage, aren't there? Sort yeah. of a Swedish massage, or there's essential oils being just sort of smoothed onto your skin. I can't bear that. If they're just rubbing cream on me, I think this is like I'm paying 60 quid for someone to rub cream on me. And I'll say, Do you mind applying a bit more pressure? And then if they don't, it can result in me walking out and leaving more stress than uh, when I went in. So that's fun. Especially abroad, you've got, to, you've got to be careful with the sort of terminology you use on these things because there can be confusion about what sort of massage. You want, but you, you'd want to say, I want a hard massage. I, I suppose it's deep tissue. Deep tissue. I want them to go deep. Yeah. I want them to hurt me. Now, this 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 makes you sound as though you might be a tense kind of person. Are you a, well, a tense? Well, I do. Person? I'm a bit stooped, actually. I don't have the best posture. kind of, And I, I do. I carry a lot of tension in my shoulders, Clive. Mm. Do you? I certainly do, yes. I'm uh, I'm constantly being told that. Uh, but uh, Are you? I think that's possibly just, <laughs> just by body masseuse? shape. <laughs> I, I, I have had massages though. Uh, I was once had a slight pain in my neck, and uh, a, a TV producer said, Well, you should go to this fantastic um, mass, masseur. And he was a big, powerful guy, and he gave me one of these uh, very powerful massages that you're describing. And it put my neck out for ages. Oh, no. uh, but I think in the end, it was all right. But it was very, very painful. And he said, oh, that's I've just put it back into place for you. And, of course, it's going to hurt a bit. But you did come away thinking, oh, no, I've just ruined my, my whole body. So that put you off, did it? Not really, because I think it came okay in the end. But it's not something I regularly do. Oh, really? Um, See, I, I, would, I think you know when you're kind of getting old. When I would rather spend money on a massage than a night out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Given the choice. Look, I mentioned about your career uh, when I was introducing you at the beginning that you, you've, you've done a lot of these things of, you're very brave, you know. You're 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 holding a misshapen microphone, or you're putting people on the spot. Now, does that is that something you can do because you're relaxed and easy in yourself, or or are you a rather tense person while you're doing no, that? Yeah. You know, it, I think fundamentally there's something a bit wrong with me. I think I'm kind of missing the embarrassment gene. I don't get embarrassed about. I mean, I and to the point where sometimes I'll overshare too much because yeah. I just don't, and I don't know if it's the is it a kind of Jewish chutzpah thing? Because I look at a lot of my family who are the same, who will happily just overshare. They'll, they'll say anything to each other. Yeah. But that's all real well in your family and friends. But you're doing it on television and you you know you're putting, I mean, I've called them the victim, but, you know, you, you're interviewing somebody. The in a, in a They're cr- called the mark. Yeah, the mark. Okay, the mark. And you, do you ever feel, oh, this is awful, I, I shouldn't be doing this, or I, I no. wonder if he's going to hit should, me? I mean, or, you should know, I lie and say, no, I don't. I just get the most... I, th- I think I'm in my element, like I love doing stand-up comedy and I love doing pranks because it's almost, it's live, isn't it? You only get yeah. one shot and it's the adrenaline and the excitement. And I think I'm kind of a bit addicted to that. Like the more frightened I am, the more I seem to push myself. I love feeling a bit out of my comfort zone. And often with my show, certainly Dirty, Sexy, Funny, a lot of the jokes were largely on me. I was playing really extreme characters that had, you know difficulties and I was inviting people to kind of come along on that journey rather than make them the brunt of the joke so I was you know able to make peace with it that way because I was behaving monstrously 
and weirdly. And it was we were just asking them to go, oh, my God. So you're hoping the joke was on you rather well, than on Well, I think it, the... a lot of the time it was because we really, when I was writing the show, we really set out to make sure that that was the case, you know, kind of, kind of self-deprecating. I'm lower status than them because every character on that show had kind of something they were dealing with. They were all idiots to a degree. So, yeah. And did that come out originally from doing stand-up comedy? Were you yeah. doing sort of characters like that in stand-up comedy? That's what I started out doing is characters. Yeah. I've only just gone back to the stage oh, as me, um, really for the first time in my career. And I kind of went, oh, my God, I've been hiding behind these kind of grotesque characters. Um, and even when, I, when you're writing a script or something, you know, you're not, you're not being seen. You're at home privately. So... Yeah, it's been it's been really interesting doing that. And are you more nervous or more anxious when you're just being you than you would be if you've created a, a um, you know, a crazy character to to have that mask of that character on? Yeah, I think it's much more exposing when you're being yourself, definitely, because you can't hide. And and you know, when you're doing well, I when I'm doing stand up as me, these are my views. This is my view on the world. This is what I think. So you're inviting people into kind of more of a private world, definitely. And I think it took me to kind of be a mum and be settled down to not care about being judged, about just getting up there and being me. Because I think prior to that, it's it's much easier to hide behind a character. Well, as as you would know, Clive. <laughs> well, I, I don't usually hide behind <laughs> no, anything, I unfortunately. But I, I mentioned you're married to a comedian. Now, I, I'm always fascinated when you've got two comedians in the same household, do you sometimes fight over material or fight over a conversation you've had? No, that could be in my, that could be in my oh, routine. No, the only, we don't really, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm taking that joke. Uh, we don't talk about work a huge amount at home. No, um, but if something funny happens, you know, the, I don't know, I'm just, I'm being a bit, you know, straightforward. The, the, your, your child does something funny and you think, oh, that'll be, I could get a good five minutes out of that. And he might say, no, well, I'm, I'm performing tonight and I've got, <laughs> it's going into no, my No, I'm going to use that. No, that... <laughs> We kind of don't really, it's, when you do comedy for a living, it's really weird. I always, people always say, like, you must laugh the whole time at home. Like, we laugh, but it's not like we're in fits of hysterics all the time or always being funny. A lot of the time, he's gigging way more than me. He can be away all weekend, all over the country gigging. He gets home, the last thing he wants to do is kind of be funny or then have me being like, have you heard this one? Oh, check out this bit of material. It's, it's, it's work, really. You know, we don't even watch comedy. We'll kind of watch drama. Um, or documentaries because it's like an escape so I mean I, I do when I've written a script I do want him to read it yes. <laughs> and he largely doesn't whereas <laughs> if he sends me something I will read it straight away I'm always like how, how, how far have you gone with it because we're both writing at the moment because of lockdown so that's what we're doing and I'm like oh, can I read it did you write that scene he's like no babe like and then I will send him the minute I've finished something I will email it to him and then it, it usually plays out where I'll go, did you read it? Did you get the email? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then a few days later, I'm like, have you had a chance to read it yet? It's like, yeah, well, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Oh, <laughs> so, he's, he's not emerging well from this. He's, he's no, got to at least read lovely. it. And... He's just, he, yeah, he does way more performing. He's even doing online gigs during the week than I do. So often living with comedians can be quite boring. <laughs> yes. I want the massage. <laughs> Did you ask her? I tried putting her hands there, but she just pulls it away immediately. She's not into it. Why not? I don't know. I guess because it's her job. It's very frustrating. <laughs>
Now, having established you as part of sort of comedy royalty, um, your next choice fits in with that, I think. So what's what's your next choice? Well, I have chosen um, a specific seat in front of a specific fire and a specific members club, uh, which I hope doesn't make me sound a bit kind of pretentious. But um, I love Soho House and even more so since becoming a mum, because I don't have as that much kind of glamour in my life anymore so that's the thing I do if I want to get like dressed up and you know see people and drink a bit of gin I'll just haul my ass over there and I've got a spot that I like writing in uh so I don't know if you've obviously been to Soho House I have so you're talking about the Soho House in Dean Street in in Soho in yeah so now assuming this goes all around the world all around the country uh, there will be some people going, oh no, who wants to hear about Soho House? But others will go, no, what? Let's let's hear about. It. So, um, so what's the point of a, a club, as far as well, you're concerned? It's a members club, um, yeah. And uh, it for me, it's more. I've, I know I've always got somewhere I can go and kind of write, and always get a seat and maybe bump into a few people I know and. I'm a bit lazy, so if I'm going to go out anywhere, it's largely there. And I've just had this membership. I've, I mean, I had had this membership kind of 10 years ago, and it was just one club. Do you remember? It was just the one Soho House on Dean Street. Now it's all over the world, so now it does feel... It's a franchise now, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, like, it's like Pizza Express, only it's yeah, for... Yeah, <laughs> only for, <laughs> 10 times the it's price. For people who are... Well, it's for comedians, <laughs> for actors, for people in publishing... Uh, I suppose it was built on the idea those old gentlemen's clubs, which have been yes. around for years, which are, I was kind of men only at the Athenaeum or the you know the Travellers Club or something. Uh, and then before Soho House, there was a thing that, which still exists is the is Groucho, which is a, which is a club yes. for people in the sort Thank of media you. world, and amusingly named after a remark of Groucho Marx saying he didn't want to belong to a, any club yes. that would have him as a member. But then Soho House came along as a sort of rival to that, as you say, it's. It's hugely successful, isn't it, as a commercial enterprise? It is, yeah. I mean, but I remember going there um, when it wasn't so known. And I actually think I prefer those days where it was kind of just, it was like a tiny little kind of uh, uh, corridors of dark, dingy wood and not that glamorous, really, back in the day. It does look very different now, but I do have a certain nostalgia. Of, there's, this, there's a big fireplace when you go in to the Dean Street one with a huge sofa in front of it. That's all it's very inviting. And I love writing there. And if I've well, what if got... somebody else is sitting there? What well, if you yeah, go yes, in well... there and Alexi Sale or somebody, <laughs> I don't know who the most difficult person to budge might be, is sitting there. What do you do? This is what I hate about Soho House, is that you can have a table for four people, but if one person's sitting on there, it's not a climate where people go, can I just join you? Just the assumption is leave you alone. So there's all these massive tables and these huge sofas just with one person often sat on them. But if anyone's on my sofa, I will I will go, can, sorry, can you just squeeze up? So, you know, is it just you? And I will say, is it just you today here? Okay, maybe I can just squeeze in. Um, and I've gotten a lot of great ideas there, just from kind of staring at the fire, uh, arguing with people, sitting on Alexi Sell's lap, you know, <laughs> as you do. I don't know why I gave him as an example. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure he's the most regular there. But um, for people not involved in, in this world of the, you know the people who go to it, might be thinking, oh, for goodness' sake! I know is that... it does sound a bit twatty. Yeah, is that how everyone you you see somebody you know who's a producer and they give you a show or you've written something? No, it doesn't work like that. Is at it all. is it like that? Most people just. It says, hi, how are you? Fine. I mean, people aren't kind of 
talking shop there, which the assumption might be that people are doing deals or selling shows. I mean, no one's selling anything most of the time anyway. So the idea that you might see someone at say her house and just sell a show is bonkers. And I, it, you know, it, that's not how it kind of happens. I just, I just like the glam. I mean, it is hideously expensive, uh, which I often kind of go, oh God, you know, I should go. I'm paying, I'm paying for it, you know, because I don't go out that much anymore. So it forces me to get out the house and go, well, I'm going to go. And often I won't eat anything. I'll just sit and drink loads of coffee and write. But they've got um, free apples on the way out. They have these huge baskets with apples. But in. a free apple is, 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 is a nice gesture, but you're, yeah. not, you're not, probably not getting value for money well, in a free apple, are you? Well, I figured out sometimes that apple can cost me £120 a month. If I'm just going there once and taking an apple, it's the most expensive apple you'll ever eat. I'm not selling it very well, but no, I, I just, no, I think you are in a way. But uh, but the counter thought that I have about uh, clubs like these is that well, it, it's in Soho in London. It's got you know Soho's got loads and loads of cafes, restaurants, yeah. pubs, bars. Why not you don't need to be a member of any of those. You can meet a friend at um, a, you know a, a grand restaurant or a, or a simple cafe or go to a pub. You don't need to be paying a membership. So it's like a sort of gym yeah, membership. To sit and drink uh, a coffee but instead of going, yeah. Whereas a gym man, you don't need to join a gym either. You can do all your exercises at home. So it's a, it's a good business model for the people providing. You're probably these. right. You are right. <laughs> uh, we're all suckers, and it is largely full of media twats, myself included. <laughs> but blimey, the apples are good. I mean, those apples—they're really shiny and very large. Well, you can go to Berwick Street in Soho, and there's a there's I a fruit market there. You can buy apple. you can buy a you know couple of kilos of apples and keep them with you. It's a bit of a bone of contention, uh, you know, when I think about what I spend there a month, a year, and how little I can often go. I do think, oh, I'm a sucker. Like, they saw me coming. <laughs> they really bloody well did. But I just love, I, I love going, I, going there and writing. And I think it's the glamour, I think, because life is so not glamorous now, largely, with a toddler. And it is quite, you know, people get quite dressed up and, I'm really not selling it. Um, but I, it, <laughs> but it do you take the toddler with hair. you or is the toddler at home being looked after by somebody else while you're well, sitting by the fire? Well, he's at nursery often. But, you know, I oh, did okay. take him once to meet a friend there and I was astonished to realise that they've got no nappy changing facilities, might surprise you, and they, no high chairs. And I think they really don't want kids there. They're making it impossible for you to take kids. <laughs> they yeah. just want the young and the glamorous and free spending and... Uh, and yeah, you're you're still part of that uh, that well, demographic. Clinging on, white knuckling it. Yeah. And the, and the odd thing is, in old gentlemen's clubs, as the the Athenaeum types, there's a there's a strict dress code, of wearing a sort of tie and a, and a jacket. And but in the Soho House and clubs like this, they go the other way and they sort of tick you off if you come dressed up too formally. They they don't want you looking too. Um, oh yeah, not the formal, too conventional. No, but- but trend people are very trendy there, which can be a bit like, oh god, you know, is that a, a rug or is that a dress? What is that? You know, probably some kind of fancy designer thing. Um, and the flip side of it is, you know, I will go there to write if ever I just need to sit in front of a fire and eat apples. Um, and you'll get into a flow invariably, and then you will bump into someone you know. So that's kind of that's not great, you know, because then you're going, oh god, now I've got to talk to you, and I was just. I was really, I was in my groove there, you know. 
the nature of clubs, the nature of their being designed with these small conspiratorial alcoves and that element of plausible deniability as a plotter's paradise is such that when these sorts of things have happened, and I can think, for instance, of um, party leadership campaigns that have been plotted in clubs, but the people involved tend to disclaim them very, very quickly. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This week at Sukarnov. On WrestleMe, Mark Haynes has been telling me about the world's tiniest man. So. Like, you wouldn't remember that guy <laughs> coming in. Flobbing in. Like, it's a big pancake. A massive sort of soft biscuit. <laughs> yeah, are you sure he's six inches? Do you remember him? Do I remember him? Do I? Right, <laughs> then he isn't six inches He's tall. got a very unique body. <laughs> you can also join me on the Luke and Pete show, where me and Luke have been trying to come up with excuses for our poor hairstyle choices. Now, more than any other era of my life, I care less and less about what other people think. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. I think we're at the time of life where we've probably got more disposable income than we had 10 years ago, and we don't give a shit about what anybody thinks, and that's how midlife crises begin. I buy the stupid thing. I've got a scooter now. I'm wearing a ponytail. All that and a whole lot more at Sukarnov. So, so far, I, I don't think I was expecting this. We've got quite a homely uh, view of you with the Sunday roasts, British beaches, I suppose a, a massage to keep out the tension, and a, and a seat in front of the fire in the Soho House Club. But I think we're going abroad for your next uh, wonder. We are. Um, Italy. Um, try, you know, every year, kind of, we do try and visit a new country, but we've fallen in love with Italy and keep going back. And... Italy has such fond memories because I had my first holiday with my other half there. We went to Sicily and it was, and you know, it kind of make or break the first holiday. We hadn't been together very long. And it was after that holiday that um, we decided to move in together and he's regretted it ever since. <laughs> I bet he, he has. <laughs> cannot go back to Sicily because it just feels traumatised. <laughs> but... <laughs> uh, and I keep talking So Sicily, so you... It's specifically Sicily, um, so that's very far south. Yeah, we had the most glorious holiday there. And Italy, every time we've been, it always feels, and I don't know if it's maybe we're choosing places that don't feel very touristy, but it feels like there's not very many kind of British people there um, or people, you know, getting drunk (laughs) 
and uh, urinating. So how, where are you finding in Italy? <laughs> where are you finding in Italy with not many British people? Well, there? Sicily, it was really kind of predominantly Italian and um, French. Yeah, which was lovely. Um, and then last year we took the in-laws to Puglia, and that was gorgeous as well. And just really kind of rural and unspoiled, and the food is amazing. Obviously, the beaches are great. Um, yeah, uh, they do a great Sunday roast there <laughs> on the beach. So you're doubling, doubling down on those. Yeah. I'm not going to accept the Sunday roast, but you've certainly got beaches. Now, what is it about it? Italy's extraordinary, isn't it? Because it's, um, you know, over many years, there's been a bit of a shambles as far as governments are concerned, coming and going. There's there's corruption, there's, you know, the mafia in some parts of it, there's all sorts of negatives, but it remains the most gorgeous, civilised feeling place to go in the world, pretty it's well. It's astonishingly it? beautiful and, um, you know, you don't see um, a Starbucks anywhere. And I think the fact that it has been corrupt means that maybe it hasn't has had as much kind of regeneration, you know, or as much development. And I know certainly with Sicily, you're not allowed, developers, foreign developers aren't allowed to build anything there. So I think it's retained its charm because of that reason. And I think actually that's been quite a good thing for it. And I got really obsessed with, you know, the Costa Nostra while we were there. And I was reading a book about, you know, the mob. And we went to see all the little villages where, uh, what what's his as Al Capone, we went to the village where he was from. It's a few years ago. But that now. doesn't put you off, Italy. The the idea that there might be some some you know violence and no, I was hoping that we and... might meet a few like you know gangsters. I think we did. I think we kind of we were having lunch on the beach one day, and this guy walked in, kind of really suited up in the pinstripe. And if you watch Sopranos, you know that oh, one you know the pinstripe. I was like, he's wearing pinstripe. He's a mobster. <laughs> oh my god, look, it's a real mobster, and he was with all his family and. You know, oh, and he you had... just don't know though, do you? He might just be a lawyer well, or something. Well, he paid cash for, he just brought out this wad of cash and paid cash for their lunch. And then he looked over to us and he was like, and get theirs. Oh, right. And he paid cash for our lunch. Yeah. And I was oh, like, wow. Definitely a Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is so exciting. Now, why do you think he paid for your lunch? Do, do, do you think I you were. I was staring at him the whole time and he thought he might have, you know. You might have been police officers, <laughs> undercover police officers, Maybe. and they were just buying you off. Or he was like, oh, I love the show Balls of Steel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's the cheeky comedian of Angelo Sepasimu. I don't know what accent I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> That's your husband. And he yeah. just shouted over in his Italian accent, what's in your bag, Angelo? <laughs> Oh, I don't know if we're in the fantasy world now, or did, did all this happen? <laughs> no, no, but the hotel we were staying in, it was like it hadn't had any work done on it since the 60s, and all of yeah. the staff were in tuxes, and they would wheel the food out on those trolleys, and it was like, it was literally like something from 40 Towers. Um, it's Yeah, just kind of a step back in time. We I, loved well, it. Well, you, you've sold me on Italy. I, I love Italy as well, but I, it just reminded me you have worked uh, around the world uh, in your comedy, perhaps not necessarily in non-English speaking countries, I don't know, but I uh, I know you were on the uh, the Tonight Show with Jay Leno, that that must have been, yes. I assume, very exciting to work there. It was, yeah, it, it was it was amazing, you know, to kind of go over there, I went over to LA on a bit of a punt and got signed with a manager and within like a few weeks he was like, got you a slot on the Tonight Show, kid. I was like, you're right. Yeah, um, and uh, I would just live there for two years doing that and doing other things. And it was, it really was 
glorious. And then I came back home and met my other half. And then he fucked <laughs> that up for me. So that was great. <laughs> what a romantic view of marriage. Yeah. Uh, but it, so, to, <laughs> I did. To get that... <laughs> I really did. I was on such a high. And then I came back for a job and met uh, met Dan. I don't, I, obviously, no regrets. Um, <laughs> no regrets. <laughs> no one could think there's a regret in whatever you I said there. just not have any regrets and just keep moving yeah. forward. So no, no, I, I just. Yeah, just I just want to steer it back onto the professional way from the personal for the moment. Oh sure. So you got you got to LA and you'd already done stuff on British television, yeah. which doesn't always count for very much in America. But they must have shown the producers or the bookers or whatever it was of the Tonight Show. So look, this is what she can do. Yeah, he, uh, we Jay can try Leto's, it out here. He saw my show, uh, Dirty, Sexy, Funny, and just yeah. loved it apparently, and. Uh, I went and had a general meeting and you just, that's what I love about America is when it goes well, you get the job literally in the room, you know, they're like, great. Okay. When you're going to, you know, and, and it, yeah. they're so effusive and complimentary. And I was like, or they just walk any... out the room and you never know you haven't got well, the this job. Is it. <laughs> yeah. You think you have, and you're still waiting years later. I've never had a meeting like that in this country. It's always, you know, we're much more measured and probably yeah. uh, sincere to a degree because that can go the other way, can't it? With that whole, bigging you up but yeah and then uh, and then that was it and then kind of rented a place there and suddenly I was living there it was it really yeah it was great and did you think right this is me here in in LA in Hollywood I've made it I made it I'll be in movies I'll be in on, on network tv I'm, I'm on one of the biggest shows in the country so I'm already there yeah I was like I just stopped calling back all my old friends that had nothing to offer I just ignored <laughs> my family I just started behaving like an absolute diva no I didn't <laughs> Do you know, after two years of it, being in LA, at first I loved it. I got really lonely, is the truth. And where yeah. my career life, my career was going phenomenally well, better than I ever could have imagined. I wasn't happy kind of socially. I got really bored of dating American men and I didn't see myself just settling down there. So, um, What was wrong with American men though? Weren't they um, interesting enough? Did, did you not well, drive was, up and down? Maybe and I was dating top, actors. Uh, maybe that's where I was... Going wrong. Oh, I married one. Sorry, but yeah, I married an English one. I think it's quite different. An English one's is much better. Uh, yeah, much better. I, I don't know why I say that. There's no, no evidence to support that as a notion. Maybe I had a bad. I think I had a bad picker. I think I was picking the wrong ones. Wrong ones. I was going for wrong ones, Clive. Um, yeah, just <laughs> that's you the know. that's the way the world works. Yeah, <laughs> you've got to do that. You've got to do that baptism of fire where you shag a few famous ones, you know, and realise. Hmm, any any no, names not, you, you know. want to share with us? <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe how much I'm revealing. Uh, that's one of my many wonders: shagging famous men in LA. Put yeah. that on the list. Is it, can no. we do just seven of those? Would that be no, another the list? Thing to, is, so... They're not even that famous. I wouldn't have minded if they were, or they never even. They were really kind of just. Well, they were on the up, but they didn't. Uh, they didn't get any higher. Never kind of flourished. Yeah. So then I was I was really pleased to kind of come back. And I like I said, I came back for a job. I came back to do Come Dine With Me. Channel 4 were doing a comedy special and Dan was doing it. And the minute I kind of saw him, I was like, ah, you're nice. He's my man. I did. I kind of kind of knew quite early on. And uh... just just while we're straying into your career thing, though, so you were in, um, in yes. America, in L.A., but you also worked in Australia, which is another long yeah, way. Yeah, to... I did Balls of Steel Australia, a couple of years running, and went over there for a and bit. And how did you get on there? I don't mean on the dating front. Yeah, shagged a few <laughs> famous men. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I didn't date anyone there, actually. Uh, 
was too busy working. Uh, well, there's so many hours of work working. you're having to do on Balls of Steel Australia. There was literally no time to go out and have a meal or a drink or, yeah, but, or go uh, to see a movie. Yeah, mate, yeah. They're not much socialising because I just kind of would... I'd just fly in, you know, on the red eye, uh, do the show and get out. One of those ones where... Whereas LA was different. I rented an apartment and that was it. I was there. I had my visa. I was an alien. That's all, yeah. And now I just uh, clean up a lot of shit. Yeah. Uh, but but <laughs> but there's time we're potty training. I really do. No, we're potty training. So yeah. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. But once you've got over the potty training or, or into the, you know, are, are there? Have you yeah. plans for more of those? I'm pregnant, uh, kind... actually. I'm six oh, months pregnant. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Yeah, that's not on my list as one of the one today. <laughs> <laughs> the wonder of getting pregnant. How does it happen? It's it's it's, it's a mystery. one of those miracles, but has happened to billions of people. I yeah. think some sperm fell in me. That's what might have happened. All right, I've sure. got yes. I think this is this is an educational podcast. <laughs> Just in case you weren't sure. <laughs> so this so you're, you're, this is your second child then. That, 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 that this will be second. Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. So it's, it's good you've got on your wonders the Sunday roasts and the beaches and the. Yeah. Um, and holidays in Italy. So that's all to look forward to still exactly. and introducing your children to all those things. Definitely. My son loves beaches. He particularly loves uh, sitting on his iPad in the tent <laughs> while we're on the beach. It's great. So he doesn't, we don't so he doesn't build a sandcastle. He designs one <laughs> on his interested. iPad. You're uh, interested. Yeah. He'll run around the sand for a few minutes, throw some stones, and then we just stick him in the tent with the iPad. I mean, it's got to be done. <laughs> Let's go to your next uh, wonder, yes. though, if we may. And what's that? Muswell Hill. Muswell Hill. I think uh, when I was thinking, I wonder what wonders people are going to be picking uh, for this series. It, it never, I mean, you put Italy, yeah, they might have cropped up all sorts of food. And all things, but I don't think I had it in my mind that anyone Muswell. was going to say Muswell Hill, which is unfair <laughs> of me, I suppose. So so again, for people who are not for, maybe from North London or, or, or England even, it, it, do a word picture, if you would, of Muswell Hill. Well, it's not necessarily the hill itself. It's not like, oh, my God, it's got the most amazing ascent to it. You know, what a hill. It's so green. It's not the actual kind of place. It's more what it represents. And, you know, we we just... More about home life, really, uh, and loving the simple things, uh, which for someone that travelled around the whole time for pretty much the whole of my 20s and, you know... I never thought I'd be happy just settling down on a hill. But I suppose there's, there's a slight mismatch, uh, you know, going back yeah. to the, the the image people would have of you as a performer. Yes. And and the the, the sort of sweet comfortableness of family life, which you're which stressing. I found meeting through meeting Dan. Like I found that with him in a way that I've not yeah. kind of had with anyone. Yeah. So right. this part of my life definitely feels like the more the the kind of newer phase. And it's yeah, it's lovely. So this is I mean, I'm this... getting on a bit now, Clive. I mean, you know, it's not like I'm, well, I'm, I'm getting on a bit to me, you're you're yeah. ludicrously young. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to stand for that. But Muswell Hill itself, uh, people may have heard of uh, Muswell Hill if they're of a certain age um, and they're a fan of the Kinks because um, that's the area where Ray Davis, Dave Davis and the others 
came from. And they had an album called the Muswell Hillbillies. Yeah. Um, um, which uh, was a, well, I suppose it was a sort of American country music uh, to an extent, but it certainly uh, went on about Muswell Hill as a, as a place where they were brought It is up. a really pretty area. Um, yeah. It, and I think the fact that there's no tube here is works in its favour, actually. Yeah, it's full of uh, writers and actors because there's no tube. I mean, you can't get a seat in the coffee shops here. Everyone's on. Everyone's writing their screenplay. Uh, so that's why I've got to go to Soho House, where obviously everyone is not writing a screenplay in Soho House, clearly. And you don't need a tube station there because you can be whisked around in a in a chauffeur-driven car between your various uh, engagements and... Uh, oh, yes, uh, quite. <laughs> well, well, it's just my other half in his Ford Fiesta picking me up, dropping me off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so Muswell Hill, any, anything else you want to say about it as an area, as, you know, it's got uh, Alexandra Palace in it, which people may have oh, heard of. Oh, the woods. Sorry, the woods. Yes. Yeah. No, there's loads of green. I mean, it's not like... I, th- I think it's the fact that we are happy here rather than like, oh, my God, it's, I feel like I'm really overselling it and people are going to go, let's go and check out this Muswell Hill and get there and go, oh, is that it? <laughs> A couple of shops. <laughs> hmm. Oh, okay. Oh, there's a butcher. Great. Um, but we've got the Highgate Woods kind of on our doorstep and Ali Pali and both are really gorgeous and they've kept us sane during lockdown just being able to walk there not to say other areas in London don't have parks nearby yeah you've probably got more than your fair share of it haven't you and Alexander Palace is a sort of huge people's palace and I suppose when you get to us when you've got a family life you appreciate more uh trees yes, and parkland and uh, Ali Pali Alexander Palace yeah. has got it's it's on a hill of its own, really, with lots of grass and yeah. woods and it's very green. all sorts of things around. This it. is the first time I've lived in London as like a aside from living at home, and I've had a garden. We've got a little garden, which just feels mm. like a treat. And we and it's on because we're on a hill, we can see the whole view of London from our garden, which is really relaxing. When you're a bit stressed, you just kind of look at the view and you go, "Oh, I'm a little ant," and there's a bigger picture. It's all going to be okay. So you're not enclosed in as most people are in most houses and even most gardens. You've got a view of, uh, yeah, not, not like being at the seaside, but, uh, no. but it's sort of got that vibe to it, hasn't it? If you've got a distant, ha- and I think I really think it has, and I think we love a view. You know, if, if having that expanse of space, and my head it might surprise you. My head can get quite frantic. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I know that's will come as a surprise, um, and it it really chills me out just being able to kind of get that expansive space and we've we've just put decking in the garden so we can see the view really clearly because it's elevated that helps with the view well before that we would have to stand on a chair to see the view (laughs) (laughs) and you'd often find dan and i stood on chairs drinking old coffee in the morning just looking at the view it's an old musical Uh, song about that isn't it yeah a ladder and some glasses i could see across hackney marshes yeah. Now, look, how does this play as, as far as stand-up comedy is concerned? Because stand-up comedy is more about, oh, it's awful dating or I'm unemployed or I'm unhappy or or isn't life that... It's hard to build... Do you know, I, I have a lovely home life at the moment. Are you, can, can you build that into stand-up well, comedy? Yeah, I think that I got a lot of material from motherhood. Um, yeah. Because there's a lot you can say about motherhood. You know, you have an expectation <laughs> and a certain pressure to love it. And what if yeah. you don't? <laughs> and I oh, don't right. get me wrong. No, I love being a mum. I wouldn't have it any other way. But I certainly um, am very vocal about the difficult times in ways that I was seeing other mums weren't being as vocal. And 
I channeled all of that angst into an album. I did a a mindfulness album for mums that was all about allowing mums to embrace their angry inner self. And it's called uh, Mindful Mum, How Not to Lose Your Total Fucking Shit. And I did it just as fun. And it's the kind of funny meditation tracks where the mantras are like, you know, just find a quiet space and repeat this mindful mantra after me. Everyone can fuck off and leave me alone. <laughs> and I had such fun writing it. And, and then yeah. I turned that into a live show. So I, it was called um, Olivia Lee Losing Her Total Fucking Shit. And it's largely about motherhood and the idea that women are told that our anger isn't as valid as a man's anger, which I do think there is some kind of truth in that. I did a lot of research. I did read a few books for it, Clive. It wasn't just like... Excellent. Like, no, that's, yeah. no, it sounds good. And, of course, there's another stage on as the children get older. Uh, yeah. There are different issues and different oh, problems. Endless. So That's why I'm yeah. having another one. I just ran out of material. So I was like, <laughs> oh, I need another show. I'll yeah. just have a baby. Welcome to Mindful Mum, your first meditation in the series, How Not to Lose Your Total if you found this, then you've probably already lost it. Maybe you're about to lose it. You could even be telling yourself that you'll never lose it. How funny are you? Now, look, let's get on to your final, your final choice. The, uh, the final wonder. choice is getting drunk, disgustingly drunk with my girlfriends. Um, and I just still love that. And I really miss it being pregnant, you know, and, and because of lockdown. And there's something about just being with the girls and behaving badly and, you know, oversharing and cry. there's always tears. You always get to that point in the night. Whenever I meet up with my girlfriends, we, get drunk, we always cry. But it's much cheaper than a therapist <laughs> because when you get drunk with your girlfriends, you all end up like, really helping each other oddly there's a kind of catharsis with that ritual and um and i love it i don't know i'll ever get bored of it um and obviously my friends are part of that some brilliant friends that i've known for years that um yeah it doesn't matter how great your relationship is you've got to go out and get drunk with the girls so this is you're saying um obviously this this is different from like men getting together and getting well i don't think men get together and get drunk and cry no, I don't think they go to Lee together and actually like leave the door open and uh, all these cliches. I don't think they Why? share tampaxes when they get drunk. Yeah, but this has to be done uh, when you're when just you're just women and you get drunk together. There is a downside. There's a downside to getting drunk because I mean, obviously the the health aspects, but also you can end up saying things you didn't really you shouldn't have said or you wish you hadn't said. And the next morning you think about it. Is there not a a downside to this wonder? Well, normally everyone's in the same boat. And, you know, a lot of my friends, we can be slightly angry drunks, you know, maybe a bit more vocal. So it, I, I, I remember when I first had a, a friend over for dinner, like one of my oldest friends, and when we get drunk, we get really shouty with each other and tell each other all the, all, we're really what we think. But we have a great time. And my other half thought we were arguing. And he said, God, you were just arguing. I said, we weren't arguing. We were just, like, passionately uh, having, you know, a connection that involved, I don't know, being mean to each other. It all sounds a bit weird now when I pick it apart. Um, <laughs> you you, you don't come to blows. <laughs> no, you don't no. come to blows in any of these occasions. I've never, never fallen out with any of my friends drunk. 
Sober, yeah. I wonder if this choice that you've put in getting drunk with your pals, this comes from the fact that A, you're pregnant and B, we're in lockdown. So you're just imagining what life was like when it was a bit more normal. Oh, yeah. Could be a couple of years ago, maybe back to this in, in a couple of years' time. But at the moment, you just can't do uh, I can't really do miss this. it at the moment, yeah. And I've really missed my friends during lockdown and, and the drinking aspect. And not that I'm a big drinker anyway, but when you can't drink... You kind of miss it a bit more when you know you can't. Is it more like a binge drinking you're you're talking about here? A, binge, a Friday no, night or a Saturday? It's not even Sunday. that. Like it's maybe once a month. Kind of go out for dinner with the girls and you know, and have a couple of bottles of prosecco and then maybe some uh, a G and T's. Yeah. Well, look, Olivia, it's been great to hear about your various wonders and share. I, I what I want to do really is to pick. Uh, it could be my favourite uh, wonder uh, of yours to put into a sort of overall compilation in due course. But um, but you could point your way. Which of these wonders would you say is your wonder of wonders? Oh, wonder of wonders. Beaches, I think. Beaches, yeah. Be- beaches. Okay. Canvey Island. <laughs> Canvey Island with my windbreaker. Canvey Island Beach. Uh, with my windbreaker um, and my fish and chips. Oh, yeah. Okay, Olivia. Okay, let's go with that then. Uh, it would have been nice to have made it Muswell Hill, but never mind. Beaches it is. Thank you very much, Olivia Lee. Lovely to talk to you. This is a Stakhanov production in association with Alaska TV and powered by the ACAST Creator Network. 